Our Heavenly Father, we uh, do pray that you'll be working in our hearts by your Spirit. We thank you that your Spirit has inspired this word. And now uh, we pray that he would wield his sword in our hearts and lives. Uh, Help us to uh, see clearly uh, what the Lord Jesus has to say to us here. And we pray that we would respond in an appropriate way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at Smack, we normally choose a book of the Bible and move sequentially through it on Sundays, allowing God to speak to us in his word as we, as we work through the book. And there's a good reason for that. It lets the Bible drive the agenda for what we do, rather than me trying to preach about what I think is important all the time. It makes sure that we learn the whole counsel of God and not skip the bits that I don't like or we don't like or I find hard to preach on. Right? Keeps us honest. And it makes it relatively easy for you to check to see where, well, if what I'm saying here comes from the Bible or I'm just sprouting my own opinions. Helps us see things in context. Preaching that comes from the Bible and moves through the Bible is called expository preaching. And that's our normal diet here at SMAC. But once in a while we stop our normal diet and change to something a little bit different. Instead of eating rice, we might have noodles one day. Uh, And that's what we're going to do over the next six or seven weeks. We're going to do something topical. And the topic we are looking at this, this time round is the Holy Spirit. Of course, we still need to be faithful to Scripture. I still need to preach what's in the Bible rather than my own ideas. And you need to still work hard to search the Scriptures to make sure what I'm preaching is right. Though it might be a little bit harder to do it because you have to walk through the whole Bible. As we look at the Holy Spirit's work over the next six weeks, there will be many, many things that we see. Today we're going to ease into our series by studying one passage together. That speaks very clearly about the role of the Holy Spirit in the most important event of our spiritual experience. It speaks about the great supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It speaks about the new birth. The teaching of Jesus about the new birth comes in the context of his conversation that he had with this man who came to him at night. He's introduced to us in the first verse of John chapter 3. He was called, it says, he was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now immediately this tells us three things about Nicodemus which are very useful for us to know. Firstly, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees were very religious people. They fasted, they tithed, they, they kept the external law and other traditional laws that they added to it meticulously. And so Nicodemus, the Pharisee, was a very religious man. The second thing we see about him is he's a ruler of the Jews. That is, he's a member of the highest Jewish body, the Sanhedrin, highest court of the Jews. And Nicodemus was one of them. So he was a very powerful man, one of the leaders of the people. The third thing we read about him is actually the first one that John mentions, and it's actually the most important. He was a man. Now, John starts off his story, you know, there was a man of the Pharisees, and normally you wouldn't make much of that, would you? You He's just 
just a general thing to say as a man, but the thing they wanted to say was as a Pharisee or something. But, so we normally just skip over that bit. But except in this case, because you see, John has just been writing about men or man. Remember, in the original Bible, okay, when the Bible was originally written, there's no verses and chapters and paragraphs or all those things are added on by us to make it easier for us to find our way through. So, when John wrote this, he went straight from chapter 2 right down and straight into chapter 3. Right? And what do we have at the end of chapter 2? Which is continuous in chapter 3, he says, in 2 verse 23, it says, Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what is in man. Jesus knew what is in man, so he would not trust himself to man. And then he continues, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. You see what I'm saying? This guy is an impressive person. He's a religious person, but he's, he's a man. He's a human. A man who, like these many people beforehand, saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did. Believed in Jesus, kind of, but didn't really follow him. There were people who could say, yeah, intellectually, yeah, Jesus is real and he comes from God, but they didn't have a commitment to him. Because their hearts were still far from God. For they were human, and the human heart is sinful. And unless God does a work in the sinful human heart, it will not come to Christ for forgiveness. It will not follow Christ. And Jesus knew this. He knew their hearts. He would not entrust himself to them. So here we have Nicodemus, powerful religious leader, who is still a sinful man. And he came to Jesus, like other men, because of the miraculous signs. He says as much in verse 2 of chapter 3. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. But Jesus' response, he doesn't particularly want to talk about the signs, because the signs are actually pointing to the kingdom. And the big problem is people would not and could not enter the kingdom. And so he answers him in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again. The word born again can equally be translated born from above. Unless you are born from above, you will never see the kingdom of God. You will never come under God's loving rule. Nicodemus, you need a new birth. You must be born again. Now, being born again doesn't mean reincarnation. It doesn't mean being born as a horse or a mosquito or a cockroach or, for that matter, an Englishman like Tim. But the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. Right? It clearly tells us that everyone will die once and then face judgment. Born again also doesn't mean becoming like Ned Flanders in The Simpsons or becoming like politicians or televangelists in America. Being born again doesn't mean rebirthing. You know about rebirthing? Some of the New Age people like to do that. And they, like, you know, 
You visualize as if you're coming out of your mother's birth canal and then you receive lots and lots of love uh, and it makes you feel better. All right? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. And he's not talking about turning over a new leaf, improving yourself so that you're not, not as bad as you used to be. What does Jesus mean when he says you have to be born again? What is this new birth? Well, can I say, if you don't understand it, you're in good company. Because Nicodemus, leader of Israel, Pharisee, didn't understand either. It says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, this sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? You can't go back and come out again. I mean, what's, what's going on? And so Jesus explains. Now remember in verse 3, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, in verse 5, he explains it. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what does being born again or being born from above mean? Well, it's the equivalent of being born of water and the Spirit. So now you've got it. Well, it doesn't help that much, does it? Unless we understand the Old Testament, the part of the Bible written before Jesus came. Remember our Old Testament reading today. The prophet Ezekiel was, was preaching to Israel. Israel were God's people. But Israel had sinned against God. They had defiled the land which God gave them by their wickedness. And so God had kicked them out of the land and sent them into exile as he warned. But even in exile, Israel brought disgrace to God's name, to Yahweh's name, because wherever they went, people said, those are Yahweh's people, but they had to leave his land. And so Ezekiel prophesied about a time when God would vindicate his own name. He would show his greatness, he would bring glory to himself, and he would do it by bringing Israel back again, and this time it will be different. Because this time they will be different. Have a look at what it says in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Sprinkle clean water. I'll give you a new heart. Now in Ezekiel, this sprinkling of clean water, this, 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 this giving of a new heart, that's not, that's not literal, is it? It's metaphorical, isn't it? I mean, it's not literal water he's going to sprinkle on them, as, for example, in baptism, any more than it's a literal new heart he's going to give, give them, as, for example, in a heart transplant. He explains what he means here. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, verse 25, 
means you, you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your, all your idols I will cleanse you. God is going to clean them up from their sin, from their idolatry. He's going to wash them on the inside from all the muck and filth of, of serving other gods because, because God finds idolatry, the, the worship of anything other than himself, as, as filthy and disgusting. And he's going, to, he's going to clean his people up from all that. That's what sprinkling with water means. Washing on the inside. What about the new heart? What is that a metaphor? Well, in verse 36, uh, verse 26, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you, I'll remove your, the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. What does it mean? It means I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, be careful to obey my rules. God is going to change his people internally so that they want to love him and obey him. He will give them his spirit. God himself will come inside and move them to obey him from the inside. Not just complying with a, a set of external rules, but being moved internally to love him and therefore serve him and obey him. And, and so God promised his people a new beginning, a fresh start, new life as God's people, in God's place, under God's blessing and rule. Now, by the time Jesus spoke the words we've just read to Nicodemus, many of the people of Israel were physically back in the land. But spiritually, they were still far from God. The kingdom of God, which the Old Testament promised, hadn't yet materialized. There was a real sense in which the exile wasn't yet over. And they looked forward to the time when God would come and set up his kingdom. Where his promised king would reign. Where all God's promises will be fulfilled, including this one, about cleaning them up and, and giving them a new heart. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you're born of water, that cleansing, that inner cleansing, because remember we had water and spirit there, didn't we? Unless you're born of water and the spirit, unless this promise of Ezekiel happens to you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was coming in, but Nicodemus, not everyone will enter it. Not even those who, not even everyone who's born a Jew will enter it. Even you, Nicodemus, the great religious teacher, leader of Israel, your part in the kingdom is not automatic. You don't qualify to live under God's rule simply because you're an Israelite. You don't qualify to live under God's rule simply by being religious and respectable and keeping all the external rules. You need to be born again. You need to be born from above. You need the Holy Spirit to give you a new life. Unless you're born of water, unless you've been cleaned up, unless you've been washed clean from the filth of sin and idolatry on the inside, you cannot enter God's kingdom. Unless you're born of the Spirit, Unless you're given God's Spirit who, who will move you internally to change, obey Him. You cannot enter God's kingdom. Not everyone who is physically Jewish, Nicodemus, will be part of the kingdom. Not everyone who will reach their Old Testament will be part of the kingdom. You may be very religious. You may know the law, God's law, inside out. Leader of God's people. But if you want to inherit the kingdom, if you want to receive the promises of God, if you want eternal life with God, you must be born again. And friends, that's the same for us. 
God has now opened the door of his kingdom to to non-Jews as well. People like you and me. So we also can be part of the kingdom. But like Israel of old, we need to be born again. Because we too are sinful and dirty on the inside. We too have been affected by sin and we, we can't get out of it. In fact, we've been so affected by sin that unless God does a miracle in our hearts, we won't want to get out of it. No amount of trying to be moral or religious or knowledgeable or respectable is going to change our hearts. And if we're going to be acceptable to the God who is perfect and great and just and good and who sees our hearts on the inside, not just the outward show we put on so that people think we're okay, then we need to be cleaned up on a much deeper level than simply being moral or religious. We need to be born again. See, friends, we talked about Israel's sin and defilement, which which led to their expulsion from the land. But Israel's sin and defilement was a picture, a picture of an even greater sin and defilement that, that characterizes the human race as a whole. And Israel's eviction from the land that God gave them, that's that's a graphic picture of the even greater problem that we human beings face. Evicted from a relationship with God. For the Garden of Eden, that was a place where we enjoyed a perfect relationship with God and each other. And just like Israel was expelled from the land, we were expelled from the Garden because of sin. Because all of us human beings were We've rebelled against the rule of God. We are far from Him. And like Israel of old, we are facing His judgment and condemnation. And though God loves us, He loves us in spite of the fact that we are in fact filthy and disgusting on the inside and need to be cleaned up. And He loves us enough to want to clean us up. And He knows that if we're going to have a relationship with Him, we need cleaning up. We need to have our guilt dealt with. We need to have our sins washed away. We need a fresh start. We need to be metaphorically born again of water. Be sprinkled and cleaned. But not only do we need cleaning on the one hand, we need new hearts on the other. Because our tendency is always to sin. Since our first sin against Adam, our inclination is always to be rebelling against God. And our hearts are by nature exactly the same as the hearts of the Israelites. And so we need a new heart. That is, we need God's Spirit to be at work in us, to change us, to incline us to obey. Israel needed a new birth. And so do we. And Jesus says to us, as he said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But there is a problem. A big problem. Have a look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see the problem? You and I are flesh. We can only produce more flesh. We can bring about the first birth, but uh, we can have children of natural descent. We can't give our children, or can't give anyone actually, for that matter, a new birth. We can't even give ourselves a new birth. Because new life, spiritual life, eternal life, 
can only come from the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. We need to be born again of the Spirit. And we can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit of God can give new birth. We can't even help Him do that. (coughs) Now, at this point, Nicodemus must be very puzzled. Maybe it's because he thinks he's such a good and righteous moral man, why would he need to be born again to enter the kingdom? Maybe because he's such a religious man, why would he need to be born again to enter the kingdom? And then Jesus says, not only does he need to be born again, but but he can't do it. Only the Spirit can do it for him. Whereas he's been brought up in the Pharisee religion, which is say, do, 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 do your best to observe the external law, or do all these very rules and regulations, and... And Jesus says, it's not by doing the law that you enter. It's by the Spirit doing something to you. Surely he's taken aback by all this and probably shows it on his face. Going, hmm? or something like that. Because Jesus says in verse 7, he says, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And then Jesus doesn't make it easier. He actually makes it harder. It says in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now there's a play on words here that you won't get until you realize that in the Greek and the Hebrew, the word wind or breath and spirit is the same word. Think of the wind, Nicodemus. The wind blows wherever it wants. You can hear it. You don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going. You can't control it. That's like that with the Spirit. The Spirit works where the Spirit works. He gives new birth. He gives new life. And everyone who's born in the Spirit is born that way. You don't know when he's going to do it. You don't know who's going to bring to life next. You can't control the Spirit. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You can't do it. And you can't control it. It's the work of the Spirit. Now, Nicodemus is really astonished. Verse 9, how can this, how can, how can these things be? And Jesus seems surprised that Nicodemus doesn't understand. He says, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? See, it's actually all there in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, not everyone who was physically part of Israel was truly one of God's people. And the Old Testament says, not only in Ezekiel and many other places as well, that ultimately what will save God's people is not something they can do, but something that God would do. Nicodemus should have known. He was Israel's teacher, Old Testament expert. But he didn't know because he was reading his... Old Testament with blinkers on. So he's surprised when Jesus says you must be born again. And shocked when Jesus says you can't do it. On the other hand, Jesus comes with no blinkers because, well, earlier on John says that no one has ever seen God, but Jesus is God the one and only. He is the one who came from the Father's side, from from the throne of heaven as it were. He's the one who's, who knows, who's, who's from God on the inside. And he's made him know. 
So Jesus is able to make God and his plans known to, to Nicodemus. The need to be born again should have been clear to Nicodemus, but it wasn't. But there were other things that Nicodemus needed to know and believe that there's no way that he, that he would have. Like Jesus says in verse 11 and 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? See, so far Jesus has only told Nicodemus earthly things, the things that, that he could have worked out himself from the Old Testament. Now, there are other things he could have said to him, right? but this stuff, you know, Nicodemus should have known from Israel's history, from the prophetic writings, things about people's hearts, our own helplessness, our own need, earthly, earthly things. And Nicodemus was finding that hard enough. But what if Jesus told him heavenly things? Things that he couldn't have known unless, unless God opened the curtain of heaven and, and let him look inside and secret things that he couldn't have found out unless God himself made them known. There's no way that Nicodemus would have believed them in and of himself. Now, wouldn't it be exciting if Jesus had actually told Nicodemus those heavenly things? Don't you think? Wouldn't that have been good? And then maybe what John wrote them down for us so that we would know what they were. Well, friends, rejoice. Because it's exactly what happened. Right? In the very next sentence, Jesus starts talking about heaven. And he starts talking about the one who came from heaven. He starts talking about heavenly things. So, so listen carefully. We overhear the conversation. Uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus two heavenly things. Two profound things that, that even the angels in heaven... I wonder at in amazement. First thing is the identity of Jesus himself. He says in verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So he's talking about heavenly things here, isn't he? Right? Jesus is the one. Uh, Jesus is unique. He's the only one who has been in heaven. That is, the only one who has experienced in history, who has experienced the inner life of God. He is the real heavenly man. And more than that, verse 13 says, He is the Son of Man. Those of you who have been here recently will, will know that the Son of Man is a heavenly figure in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, we've seen this verse recently. Can you show the next slide, Angie? Um, uh, in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel, in the Old Testament, where Daniel sees a vision where one like a Son of Man comes the Ancient of Days, as God is presented before him, and to him is given dominion and glory and kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages shall serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus says, he is the Son of Man. He is the King of God's kingdom, the Lord to whom everyone must submit, that everyone must work, that needs to worship and serve, the King of the kingdom that lasts forever. Think Nicodemus can believe that? From time to time, sometimes we, we get to meet famous people, don't we? And people we know we think of as celebrities or, or powerful leaders. And the thing that surprises me whenever I meet someone like that is how ordinary and normal they seem. Do you find that? 
And if you didn't know if there was someone famous, then you know you didn't know their face from the books or media or something. You just thought of them as a another ordinary person. The man standing in front of Nicodemus, he was the heavenly son of man, the one whom God was going to make king of the whole world. That was a heavenly thing. But Jesus knew that Nicodemus could not would not have been able to believe that. He wasn't born again. Then Jesus tells him a second heavenly thing. It's a heavenly thing because, because it tells us how we can have heavenly life, eternal life. And it's even more astounding than the first. Verse 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What's that about? Well, back in the Old Testament... God had rescued his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. And as he was leading them towards the promised land, the land he promised their forefathers, they kept on rebelling against him, time and time again. And Numbers 21 recounts one such incident. Uh, when the people spoke against God and said, you know, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? You know, there's no food and water here, we don't like this food. Well, the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, bit the people, and many of them died, and People came and repented and said, Sorry, we've sinned. Pray the Lord that he will take the serpents from us. And Moses prayed and the Lord said to Moses, Go and make a fiery serpent. Put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the pole, and if the serpent bit anyone, if any serpent bit anyone, he would look at that bronze serpent and he would live. God was right, wasn't he, to judge the people of Israel for their rebellion, that they deserved their judgment. And yet he was kind in providing this way out. But when you look at it, it it seems like a silly thing, doesn't it? I mean, what's the good of looking at this bronze snake? How could that save anyone from a snake bite? You need anti-venom, but they don't have anti-venom in those days. It's not logical, it's silly. But God promised that if they trusted him, if they believed what he said, if they only looked at this bronze serpent that was lifted up, even though they were bitten, they would live. And Jesus said to Nicodemus in verse 14 and 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The Son of Man, this glorious King, this ruler of the nations, will be lifted up. What that means, Nicodemus doesn't know. But somehow or other, by believing in him, people like Nicodemus and and people like you and me, who deserve God's judgment of death, can have eternal life. Friends, as we keep on reading John's Gospel, we do find out how. In John chapter 12, verse 32, uh, Jesus said more about uh, being lifted up. We'll see that in a moment. It's very easy to do. You press end instead of next. And pop, you get all the way to the end. Keep on going back. That's fine. That's it. That's it. Okay. Yep. Good. Okay. Jesus says, John twelve thirty two. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Later on, John's school, he explains what this being lifted up is. And then John explains, he says, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. See, friends? 
When Jesus talks about being lifted up, he's talking about being lifted up on the cross. He's talking about being executed there. Nailed to wooden strips and hung like a wicked criminal. And the Old Testament had pronounced a curse for anyone killed that way. The curse would be anyone who was hung on a tree. And Jesus was hung there and cursed for us. The punishment that was due for all of us because of our sin was, was borne by Jesus himself. He took our place under God's curse. He took our punishment that we deserve. He took God's anger that, that should have been directed at us. So that God could forgive our sins and clean us up on the inside. So that God could take away our guilt and give us a clean heart. So that God could wipe away all our filth and uncleanness. And just like those who, who looked on the snake in the, in the desert and were saved from their just deserts, we can look at the cross of the Lord Jesus and be saved from our sins and their consequences. By trusting in the death of Jesus on our behalf, by looking to Him as the Son of Man, we can be saved from condemnation and have eternal life in the kingdom. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. That's another heavenly thing. But Jesus knows that Nicodemus will not be able to believe this heavenly thing because he hasn't been born again. So friends, what have we learned so far from Jesus' talk with Nicodemus? First of all, we've learned that we need to be born again. We need to be born above, from above. And we learned that that means having our sins, our rebellion, our uncleanness on the inside washed away and being given God's Spirit to incline our hearts to obey Him. It's having a, a, a new life. And second, we've seen that we can't do it. We can't make ourselves be born again. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But third, we've seen that only when we have been born again, we will be able to, to see and believe those heavenly things that Jesus told Nicodemus. And by trusting in Jesus as the Son of Man, the King, and looking to his death on the cross for our forgiveness, we can have eternal life. So how do you put that together? Well, being born again... Something God does for us, we can't do it ourselves. Unless God's Spirit works in our hearts, unless the Holy Spirit makes us alive, unless we are given new birth, we cannot trust Christ. And only those who trust Christ enter the kingdom and have eternal life. That is why Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, of course, that experience may look different from different people. Some people can remember the exact time and date when that happened. Others can say, you know, roughly around about July, August 2008, roughly, well, they, they can't tell exactly. Brothers have got no idea when it happened because, you know, they were taught about Jesus since they were small. So how do you know if you've been born again? How do you know if the Holy Spirit has, has done his life-giving work in, in your heart? Well, you look to see if you're trusting in Jesus, don't you? 
And what verse 15 says? It says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Read that with verse 5. Jesus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, those things, those two things are together. If you believe in Jesus, it must be because you've been born again. And if you're born again, you will believe in Jesus. You don't get one without the other. So how do you know if you've been born again? Look to see if you believe in Jesus. You're trusting him as your saviour. One who was lifted up on the cross for you. And your king, the son of man who reigns over you. So how should we respond to all this? Well, if you're someone here who does believe in Jesus, who is trusting in him for your salvation, who is relying on him as your king, who knows that he died for your salvation, for your forgiveness, then then be thankful because you have entered the kingdom of God. Be thankful for the Lord Jesus and his death for you. But not just that. Be thankful for the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, what Jesus did on the cross for you would simply be for you an an event in history. Something that objectively happened in the past but with no relevance to your life. The reason it is real for you, the reason it applies to you, the reason you are able to trust in it is because the Holy Spirit has given you new birth. So if you trust in Jesus, be thankful to God for giving you the Spirit. And keep coming back in the next few weeks as we explore what the Holy Spirit tells us about His person and His work in the Scriptures. But what about if you're not yet in the kingdom? Which you're interested. Well, maybe you want to know what it means to be in the kingdom. Oh, understand that being in the kingdom means having Jesus as your king. It means two things. It means he rules you now. He's the boss. He rules you by his spirit through his word, the Bible. And you'll spend the rest of your life under his loving authority as he leads you by his spirit through his word. And the second thing is he rules you forever. He gives you the gift of eternal life with him. So after death you'll be with him. After resurrection and the final judgment, you you will enjoy the perfection of his kingdom forever. Spend all eternity loving him, serving him, seeking to bring him glory and enjoying the blessing of his his loving kingship and and finding your fulfillment in being what you were created to be, one of his people. That's what it means to be in the kingdom. Do you want to be in the kingdom? If, like Nicodemus, you're attracted to Jesus and you want to enter the kingdom, then the words of Jesus and Nicodemus are the words for you. You must be born again. And unless you're born again, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you will not see the kingdom. And while you cannot give yourself a new birth, God can. That's the work of God's Spirit, and you can ask God's Spirit to do it. You can beg Him to do it, and He will. Because you see, the very fact that you want to give your life 
the service of King Jesus and rely on him for your forgiveness means that God's Spirit is working in you. You and I as sinful human beings would never have come to that point unless, Jesus, unless the Holy Spirit was working in us. So if you want to put your faith in Jesus, you want to place your trust in him as the one who was lifted up for you, you want to be in the kingdom, ask God to give you what you ask for. God so loved the world, the Bible says, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If God, if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Eternal life is the gift that God gives us through his son. Will you ask God for the new birth that only the Holy Spirit can give you? Will you enter the kingdom? In a couple of moments, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Uh, it's coming up on the screen. I'm going to lead us in two prayers, actually. Uh, one is a prayer that uh, someone who might want to pray, who wants to ask God to give them the Holy Spirit. I want to ask God that the Holy Spirit would give them a new birth. Ask God to give them the faith to trust in Jesus as their Savior and rely on Him as their King. So that's a, that's a prayer that, that, uh, that we might pray together. Um, after that, I'm going to lead us another prayer for people to, for people who are already uh, in the kingdom, just thanking God uh, for all the things he's done. So if you're someone who's, for whom this prayer is relevant, then pray it quietly with me. If you're someone who the other prayer is relevant, then pray that quietly with me. I'll take, give you a couple of minutes to think and to consider and to uh, pray quietly yourself, and then I'll come and lead us in, in a couple of prayers. Dear Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner before you. My heart is dirty from my rebellion against you. I need to be washed on the inside. I need your spirit so I can obey. I need to be born again. But I know I can't give myself a new birth, so please may your Holy Spirit give me the new birth as a gift from you. Please may he enable me to trust in Jesus in his death alone for forgiveness and eternal life. Please may he put me into your kingdom and help me live with Jesus as my king. In his name I ask this. Amen. And Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your spirit. We thank you for that He has opened our hearts to understand and appreciate the heavenly things. That Jesus is Lord and King. That he died for us on the cross. And we thank you then. Your Spirit has given us the faith 
to believe in Jesus, to trust in him, and therefore have eternal life through him. Our Father, we pray that your spirit will continue to work in our hearts and lives, that, you, that, that he would enable us to keep on trusting in Jesus, that he will be changing us to become more and more like him. Pray that as we uh, hear what you have to say to us by your Spirit, uh, in your Word, and this series on the Holy Spirit in the next few weeks, that you will open our hearts and our eyes to uh, the great work that you that you have done and you continue to do uh, through Him, and help us more and more appreciate. Uh, the Lord Jesus himself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.